Hey everybody, welcome to The Noob Show, a podcast about humanizing technology. I'm your host, Matt Gardner. In this episode, we chat with Steve O'Hara, the VP of Engineering at 8x8. We talk about everything from uptime and software uh, to helicopters and the world's most important algorithm. Stay tuned to find out what that is. It's not like rated PG or anything. No, 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 I don't mean that. That's a... Anyway, yeah. And you're nervous. Uh, well, you know. Always nervous. Always. Well, here, cheers. Cheers. For the viewers at home. These are... These are uh... It's the fuel we run on. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. So I'm here joined, I'm joined here with Steve O'Hara. Steve is flown all the way in from London just for this podcast. So thank you for coming <laughs> here, Steve. We're here yep. at the 8 Byte offices, as you can see the logo back there. Um, thanks for coming. Yeah, no problem at all. In fact, I managed to fit in a load of other meetings. Uh, it, oh, it's good. Just yeah, you know, just as an aside. Yeah, obviously I'm here for the podcast, but you know, yeah, yeah, multiple. Managed to, to fit in with speaking to my boss, board. Oh, bit. okay, that's good. Yeah, multiple, multiple uh, <laughs> birds, one stone here. That's good. Okay, we've got good levels. Everything seems to be good. All right, Steve, I'm going to dive right into it. So, for people who don't know, Steve is the VP of Engineering at Eight by Eight. Safe to say your focus is primarily contact center. It is. Okay. Yeah. Forget contact center for a second. What was your first job? My first professional job. Um, people will be surprised really when they look at me and they think, well, he's a young looking guy. Hey, it can't possibly be that old. <laughs> but I graduated in 1986 uh, with a degree in electrical and electronic engineering. Right. So not software at all. In fact, actually, I had a, not a great love affair of software. I worked for a company in the graduate training scheme called Hawk Sidley Dynamics Engineering, which is part of the whole Hawk Sidley group, about 35,000 people. Uh, they made everything from, well, in their previous life, aeroplanes, warships, um, mining equipment, all kinds of interesting, right across the whole group. And the bit that I worked in uh, is based near London, and um, we specialized in critical control systems, things like mining control systems, I, you know, controls of coal washers and coal, coal crushers and conveyors and all that kind of uh, underground. Um, helicopter engine control systems. So, That's important. Yeah, the black box, the, the, the boxes that basically control the engines uh, on a helicopter. Right. Uh, that's why up to when people talk to me about uptime, I have a very clear vision of what uptime looks like. Yeah. You know, no pun say, intended with the helicopter. Well, you know, if you, you we talk we talk a lot about five nines. You know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent uptime. If a helicopter pilot were to sort of shout over his shoulder to you when you're in a helicopter and say, "Don't worry, we've got five nines on this," you know, <laughs> you're unlikely to get into the the most yeah. dangerous form of transport ever invented. Yeah. But the bit I worked on was marine side, and they okay. were controls for everything on a ship to do with um, anything like engines, uh, clutches, control systems, okay, uh, the compressors, the anything. Right. I mean, literally anything. You know, one of the stories I tell people is one of the first bits of software I got to write after I'd moved through um, electronics in the place was an algorithm to help control the compressors that blow air and draw water through the toilets. Okay, so also very important. Well, yeah, and the funny thing is, because I was a thrusting young Turk and I thought, you know, this is beneath my skills. And I had been told, you know, my skills were particularly um, mediocre. <laughs> In fact, Horsley, very old-fashioned in many respects and um, very harshly treat the, the new engineers. 
And I was told in no uncertain terms that, you know, I uh, the best thing to do with my first year or first year is try not to kill anybody with anything <laughs> I wrote or made. Um, but the I remember complaining or sort of gently sort of saying to one of the senior engineers, all I've got is this algorithm to work out how to control the toilets. And he took me aside and he said, you don't understand. And, I, and the funny thing is I'll be doing it right now. He said, you are working on the most fabulous thing. It's tiny, it's you know, thing. He said, No, but if it goes wrong, the shit really will hit the fan. <laughs> and you'll be telling this story in 30 years' time. And here I am. Yeah. Telling that story. On a podcast, no, no on doubt. A podcast. Oh, check that out. I just, I'm kind of curious. How do you test that sort of system? Oh, wow. When you, t- when you um, are a supplier to the DOD or the, in our case, the MOD, mm. uh, testing is. Uh, well, let me give you an example. If you're working on a flight control system or an engine control system for flight, right? So, um, my colleagues who worked on that side of the aisle, right? Most of that code was written in assembler stroke C. Now, C wasn't a recognized safe language in those days because you can subvert it, you can cast the, you know, you can muck around with memory. Um, so, it meant that the 32 kilobytes of code right. took six years of testing. They attempted to test every single branch that you that the control system could take through the code. Six years of flight flight trials. So um, you are testing statically. You're testing dynamically. You're testing on uh, rigs, um, and the same for marine. Now we didn't have quite the same scrutiny, but similar. You know, if you're on a ship and you're going through a, uh, a nuclear cloud, yeah. you need to wash the ship down, um, right? You can't be mucking around with that stuff. You know, it's life and death. Right. So the testing involved in that is extensive. Every single possible um, scenario. And this is pre- this predates you know, auto testing and um, inline testing inside the code itself. Right. This is manual testing. Right. You know, massive great test rigs of just buttons and lights and, and dials to turn things up and down. And page after page after page. You know, the, the test procedures for... Um, a ship control system would be this high from the ground. From the ground, that's about page four feet. Page of a page, yeah. And signatures, you know, many, many signatures, manual signatures on everything to make sure that it was covered. Wow. So yeah, I mean, it's um, I mean that system um, was control was a fiber connected controls of of machinery in place, um, SCADA system, yeah. supervisory control and data acquisition systems, um. 120 kilobytes of code in each. 120 kilobytes of code. And the most important job was obviously making sure the shit didn't hit the fan, right? <laughs> make sure the bog's flushed, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, the, and don't make a seal with your with your bum around the bog because uh, this is the reason why... Um, it's like Wait, toilet. what? <laughs> <laughs> well, toilets on aircraft and toilets on uh, on ships have a similar... They're similar. scary. Well, they have a similar sort of thing. They, they work on the Venturi effect. They're passing air right. and water underneath and it's sucking the stuff out. Yeah. It's not flushing it. Yeah. The water that is to cleanse the bowl, really, it's not to flush it away. It's just sucked. Yeah. Now... Uh, we we used to joke. <laughs> it's quite and it's quite a big sucking force. Okay. So never be tempted. Not that you would be. Never be tempted to lift the lid up and sit on the actual. And if you make a perfect seal with that, yeah, you might live to regret that. <laughs> oh man, I don't even want to know. Okay. All right. Changing subjects. So using what you've known then, I guess applying that to where you are now. What does the VP of Engineering actually do? What do you do? 
Um, well, I'm really where the buck stops for R&D for Contact Center uh, 8x8. Um, I'm a developer. I still develop code. Um, there's about 160 people, mm-hmm. uh, engineers on Contact Center. Um, developers, front-end and back-end, but also support engineers, QE especially. Um, they're the people in my orbit, not so much support, but the, the manufacturing of the actual code itself the application and my job is really to feed and water everybody make sure everyone's happy uh make sure we're making the right strategic decisions you know every day we're making tactical decisions about how to solve this problem or that problem how we feed product with the features and functionality they want Um, but how do we write the code right you know first thing i did when i got to eight by eight five years ago was to write the, write the coding standards for uh, the Java applications. Ah. You know, we have a mishmash of uh, lots of different languages and paradigms and processes and policies. And it's about a matter of consolidating that so that everyone has the warm comfort blanket of knowing that they're writing the, the stuff in the right way, that it's going to end up with a, a good result. Right. And the VP role is to carrot and stick. It's make sure we're all pulling on the same bit of rope, we're all going in the same direction and we all feel like we're being vital to the output. Right, right. So what is the, I don't know, the trickiest part about building a contact center on the software side of things? Well, a contact center, for everybody else's benefit, you know, traditionally people used to call them call centers because it implied that they're all voice. voice. Mm. It's a phone call. And there's two types of traditional call centers there are outbound and inbound okay and you know and, and uh, we generally deal with inbound but a blend of those and outbound is your traditional cold calling robocaller based in some horrendous place yeah very very high turnover of staff because nobody can take the the the, the attrition right i mean it's really tough in this place it's you're you're judged on the amount of time it takes for you to make a call, create a lead, do something. Right. Those outbound places are horrendous. Um, inbound is, is generally much higher value um, types of contact centers whereby people are phoning you out of their own volition. They want help. And they want to buy something. They want, they've made the conscious effort to contact you. And generally the, the uh, requirement there is that the person that's answering that interaction knows a lot more about the product, is there to help them. Right. Help sell something, help fix something, right. help take a complaint, this kind of thing. Much higher value. Whereas outbound, it's bash, bash, bash. Almost like spam. It is. And in the Western world, uh, robocalling is almost outlawed. Okay. It's very hard now. I mean, the compliance and everything else associated with calling people is so tough in uh, UK, US, Western world, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, these places, that it's becoming a really tough business. Right. You can't really call somebody if you haven't been invited to call them in the first place. Ah, uh, that's like the rule of thumb? Yeah. 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 And then when you're doing that, even when you're robo-calling, you know, a very efficient outbound call center, contact center, is over-dialing. So you get a list of numbers that you're calling. You don't dial them sequentially. You dial four at a time for one agent. Ah, uh, on the basis that three people are going, not going to answer. Is so? Is that why when you get one of those like spam calls, it takes a second for them to realize, oh, pick up on that one. They've picked up. Try to get them. 
Yeah, and that's that's when you know that you're being it's, it's the start of a road yeah. because there's a de- there's a bit of a delay. Right now, that delay, interestingly, is one of the most irritating things, and that is one of the things that legislated for. So compliance in the US and the UK right. dictates that there cannot be more than two seconds before that call is connected to the person and an agent. Okay. And when you think about that, when you're overdone it at four times a rate and this kind of thing, and some people are answering and others aren't, right. creates for a very dynamic algorithm that's ah. going to manage that. Interesting. Because you've got to be quite fast. <laughs> very fast. Or maybe you have some sort of, I don't know, audio clip that plays and then you catch up well, you can't as do a that. person. You no, can't do that. No, you're not allowed to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to do any of that sort of Okay, thing. so this has um, all been done before, clearly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the fines for this kind of stuff are horrendous. You know, they, you get... Uh, if you contravene any of these regulations associated with that, yeah, um, it's a proportion of your the, the value of the company, that kind of thing. Oh, like like the GDPR uh, fines, their percentage, it's, it's, right? Yeah, it's similar. It's treated really seriously. Oh wow, yeah, okay. And that's the reason why you know, in contact centers, we invent things like persistent connection. So, an agent will come in in the morning uh, if they're in these kinds of environments. Even if they're not, there's some advantage to doing it this way. Because contact centers, it's all about driving efficiency. Right. How many calls have you made? Right. You know, there's some rules of thumb that say, you know, in a million calls, one second per call is a million dollars wasted kind of thing. You know? I see. Um, persistent connection. We used to call it off-hook. An agent comes in the morning, connects, dials up. The system calls them. They're connected. They never disconnect. Their phone is now live. So they they're never dis- they never disconnect, but they talk to a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Because uh, that would waste time if you had a disconnect. Exactly. Ah. So, you know, when a call comes in, it's got to be connected to an agent. And so okay. that means phoning their their phone. Right. You don't want to waste that time. Even when, you know, we're on VoIP, obviously our whole system is VoIP. Right. Um, that's still a delay. So cut that delay out, uh, permanently connected. Okay. And what they hear is a beep to tell them, right, you're on the next call. You're on. Ah, interesting. Okay. So for, for, for the people who don't know, um, I want to sort of go through some of the nomenclature you mentioned agent, call, outbound, inbound, which I think you've explained. 8-byte focuses mostly on outbound. Inbound. Inbound, sorry. Got that backwards. Just checking to make sure you're uh, paying attention. Um, mostly on inbound, so not the spam stuff, which is good. We do have customers that do outbound. But, but they're probably not spammers, right? Of course not. Absolutely not. We couldn't. Uh, <laughs> no, we don't support that. Okay. What are some of the other terms? So what is an agent? Agent's the person that answers the calls. Yeah. So the agent is the person sitting in the contact center or sitting at home because they're one of the great things about 8x8 is it's cloud-based okay there's nothing to install on your laptop okay it's all coming through the browser absolutely ah. everything including the voice our okay. soft phone is embedded actually in the browser itself okay so you don't need anything um you can have a headset you don't have to have a headset you could use the mic and the, the speakers on your laptop if you want right um so everything is delivered via the browser to wherever the agent is generally they're in they used to be in offices but now they're in they're in homes um, but fundamentally, it's really about connecting a customer with somebody who can handle the customer's inquiry. Right. Um, and the person that does that is an agent, and obviously the customer is the person that's phoning in. Right. Now, increasingly, um, they're not phoning in, they're texting, mm. or they're using the web chat on, you see it everywhere now. Um, right. You know, the little thing in the bottom right corner yeah, of the website. Yeah, you want to chat with an yeah. agent. Now, of course, the first thing you find is you're not chatting with an agent, you're <laughs> chatting with a bot. Yeah. You know? So you've got to get past the bot. And they're deflecting. Uh, they're trying to find ways in which they can answer your call right. much cheaper than sending it to an agent right. to speak to you. Right. So 
They're there to try and deflect those calls, to answer the calls. But eventually, you get to a point where you either type in some trigger words that alert the system to say, oh, right, now hang on a minute, yeah. no more of this, let's push it through to, an, to a person. Right. Um, or you get to the point where it, the bot can't help and they need to talk to an agent. Right. Now, what happens there is you don't get directly connected to an agent straight away. You get put in a queue. Okay. And then you might get some in queue treatment, which is some feedback about where you know where you are in the queue, uh, how long you got to wait, and this kind of ah. thing. And the queue is emptied by agents that become available to feed the queue. Okay. So that happens whether that's a voice interaction, so you phone in, you hear on hold music, um, whether you're sending in a web chat, so you're chatting, you send in an SMS text, you're on WhatsApp, send mm. in a, or uh, or Twitter. Um, or via email. All of these channels are cope with. And that's called an omni-channel experience. Right. Meet them where they are. Yeah, exactly. Right. And sometimes it's the same interaction on different media types. So you start with a chat and you transfer to voice, this kind of thing. I see. So that's what a you know, first-class uh, contact center does. Right. It's truly omni-channel. covers multiple different channel types. Right. Okay. So obviously that's the difference between call center and contact center. Um <clears throat> And I, I imagine all that information about, you know, the, the history of your, you know, maybe support requests is, is sort of tracked no matter which Well, that's medium. where it crosses over into being a CRM. So okay. that's why contact centers generally, unless it's a low-cost contact center or a pop-up contact center mm-hmm. where you don't have your own CRM, customer relationship management system, um, we integrate, and all contact centers do, with the your incumbent CRM. Right. So it might be, you know, that it's um, uh, Microsoft Dynamics or uh, Salesforce or right. something like that. So the call comes in, it's in our queuing system and everything else. And the moment the agent actually decides they're going to take the call, there's a screen pop. Right. And that's come from the CRM. Right. It's come from Salesforce. Okay. And it tells you everything about the customer, right. the history of the customer and everything else. Right. But the contact center software itself has handled how that interaction actually got to the agent in the first place. Okay. So I imagine it's trying to figure out who's the right person to answer this. This person's an expert on X, Y, and Z. And that's skills-based routing. Okay. We're <laughs> so covering all the things here. We are. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the difference between just having, you know, a receptionist right. and a contact center. Right. You know, because you could say, well, a lot of this stuff is covered by just having a VoIP, right. VoIP phone system. You know, you phone in and it says press 2 to speak to to Matt, press three to speak to Steve, this right. kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, but what segregates or separates a contact center from a simple calling system like that is the, you don't know who you want to talk to. Yeah. You know what your problem is that you want to speak about. Right. And that will inform uh, the system and the contact center takes a view as to right. who's the right person for you to talk to. Right. And that's what used to be called skills-based routing. It's now called attribute-based routing. Right. And it's, well, the call is coming on a Spanish line. Somebody okay. speaking Spanish. Ah, so uh, yes. We need to route it to somebody who speaks Spanish. Right. Um, somehow we figured out, hopefully by pressing a few sort of uh, buttons but prior to the interaction forming, that it's about car servicing. Right. So we want to send it to that person. And then you want to say, okay, take some measurement of agent performance. Uh huh. You know, who's really good at handling those and who's not so good, who's not doing it today, who's right. not really up for it today, right. kind of thing, and start feeding those. So it's very dynamic, very right. sophisticated. Yeah. And that's really the differentiator between 
a simple unified communications phone system and a contact center. Right. Okay. Wow. So there's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's probably more goes. There's more work goes into that routing aspect than any other part of the contact center itself. You know, recordings, um, quality feedback. Right. You, know, you get a call and it says we're recording this. Um, yeah. Uh, this this call because uh, for training purposes they always say it may be recorded but it's always recorded right yeah pretty much yeah um it depends really actually because you pay <laughs> uh, so so if know, they, the they run the out of money maybe not so much yeah maybe they turn off the recordings <laughs> but mostly what they're really talking about is that what you're saying and what the customer is saying mm-hmm. is being fed into an ai engine to determine what the sentiment is okay so then maybe feedback to the agent whilst he's speaking whispering we call it mm. Um, maybe talk to them about this. Um, hang on, the, the customer's getting angry. Yeah. Maybe, you know, try to steer them <laughs> to this. Or the, give some advice. Right. Um, so the system starts whispering in there based on the feedback that it's mm. analyzing from the content, whether it be text or voice. Right. So with voice, it's speech to text, real time, and then feeding it back while you're on the interaction. I see. And that's where the really high value contact centers are. Okay. Yeah, so you can. That's where our, our, our QM, our um, quality manager product, comes in. So you can you can train them, help them during the calls. Yeah, help them and then better. obviously post call, a uh, bit of training on the customer right. to say, look, you know, looking down a history or feedback that you're getting here, and what we're seeing with the way you're handling some improvements, and that's what they mean by training. Purposes. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I feel like that would be a lot of fun just to know about my. My calls with customer support agents, you know, yeah. flip the script, at least for me, you know, like when I'm trying to cancel, you know, something and they won't let me cancel, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, and you know, some sometimes calls are directed to agents that are very good at handling yeah. difficult customers mm. uh, or, <laughs> you know, we've got, we've got mission critical contact centers. And what we mean by that is we've got people that run suicide lines. Oh. Yeah. Um, and so it's super important that, yeah. you know, the reliability of that line, you know, somebody calls up, they're calling for a really specific reason. And right. That is they want some advice, they want some help, they want some uh, reassurance. Right. Um, so you need trained people that can counsel, you know, can, uh, you know, have high empathy and all those sorts of things to be able to handle that. Um, so routing is really important in those circumstances. Yeah. For obvious reasons. So when you're building all this stuff, you mentioned earlier there when someone calls in or messages in, a screen pop comes up and it maybe pulls in information about maybe the customer or maybe you don't know anything and it says we don't know much about this person, et yeah. cetera. New but contact. This, new contact. What other sorts of integrations are there today besides pulling in existing data just about the customer? Um, well, it, it's really interesting actually because what it can be is that before the agent actually gets the the call it's been through what we call our interactive voice rec, um, response system mm. and that is you know comes through and says press one to talk to somebody in service press two but it also might be is your inquiry about parts mm. is your inquiry about uh, a particular service um could you type in your postcode using the the telephone keyboard or right. you know this kind of thing maybe a part number right and of course the part number that's a lookup. 
that's a dynamic look up into the parts catalog for the company. Right. So that by the time the agent does get to it, says, okay, now I can offer you this price or that price or how many do you want of them? I see. It's all about really trying to automate as much of that as possible and get as much information before it becomes to a, comes to a human interaction. So integrations with existing parts catalogs, not just CRMs, but also other systems that customers have. And that's the reason why it's really important to have an open platform in this area. Right. You know, APIs know very close to your heart um, <laughs> because we don't actually really know what customers are going to use it for. Right, right. Actually, some of the other uh, podcast episodes are entitled or the subject is APIs and IPAs. So there you go. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> very, very relevant. Um, <clears throat> so I've got so many questions. What, what, what are the biggest engineering challenges you face when you're building a contact center? Um, performance and reliability. Biggest ones? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the customer, he wants features. Customers yeah. want features. They want this to pop up, that to pop up here, blah, blah, blah. Right. And we're a global organization um, making this one product as a mm. sales product for everybody. So to cover everybody's requirements for the features right. without, the, without the thing growing like an octopus and then not also being able to perform. You know, these things sit on top of a microservices architecture increasingly. You know, we've still got quite a lot of legacy code which runs in data centers. Right. Uh, and the challenge there is getting it to scale up. Right. You know, um, 8 by 8 contact centers, 23 years old. Wow. It's based on a microservices architecture from 2000. Yeah. It's written in 32-bit C code. Okay. I was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic thing. But everything was proprietary. Right. The message bus, the event bus it was on, uh, it's pinned to certain versions of Linux, you know, mm. this kind of thing. And they take years to overcome. Right. Nothing really so much wrong with the architecture, just the implementations of its time. Right. And so bringing that, all that forwards and make it still perform. Right. You know, Modernize the language, modernize the technology, modernize the uh, the scalability. That's a challenge. Sort of moving this giant mountain that's been around for a long time. Yeah, I mean, people call it you know breaking down the monolith, right? You know, into microservices. But the thing was microservices before it's just the wrong time microservices mm. and too tightly coupled and all this kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's pretty tough, you know. Yeah. And, you know, in IT. This is not going to be your last job. It might not be my last job. Uh, you know, when I started at Hawker Sidley in 1986, people got carriage clocks when they retired after 40 years. I mean, loads of people were doing that. You know, the, the business was so large, you could move around it, um, work on different aspects of it, and have a whole career just inside that one business. And it right. wasn't that unusual. That's unheard of these days. Yeah. You know, and especially in tech. Yes. You know, yeah. If you've been anywhere for five years, people are saying, why are you staying there for five years? <laughs> yeah. well, why not? I love it. It's yeah. interesting. It's paying well. It's, you know, right. it's kind of become the, the thing. It used to be that if you saw a CV and somebody had jumped between jobs two or three times in the last five years. It was, it was bad. Yeah. 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 That guy, you know. Yeah. Um, he can't keep a job. Yeah. <laughs> but nowadays, it's, well, that's... that's you can't get it. a new job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, and you know, and hiring is—you can make as many mistakes. I make as many mistakes hiring the wrong person as I do the right person. Yeah, and I've been doing it for years, and I'm still not getting it right. How do you hire the right person? 
if you find that if you find the solution to that problem then um i mean i was talking to somebody recently and they said um to get the right person we put them through nine interviews wow nine interviews you're gonna find someone really good at interviewing well and that's the other challenge is you know we ask our engineers and our peers to do the interviewing yeah well why are they experts in interviewing (laughs) they don't do it all day long we put them through hacker rank and some other stuff i mean lots of different ways in trying to but in the end, it comes down to: Do you think they've got the right chops for this? Right. You know, do you think that you do they they've they demonstrated that they can communicate? You know, in sort of Guy Kawasaki's world are they are they lonely boy sixty fours who <laughs> are going to spend most of their time in their back bedroom cracking out code without speaking to anybody? Right. You know, or are they going to be a proper team player? Right. Um, you know, and also having the confidence that when you hire leaders as well you want to hire somebody into a management position in our game in our world you know we're always promoting people into positions of incompetence <laughs> you know yeah either because we, that's the only way you can figure out how to pay them more money right uh we've got to make them a manager so right we took this first class lead developer yeah and turned him into a crap manager yeah you see that everywhere in the software industry it's, everywhere and it's sometimes just simply the way to get around the pay structure yeah you want to pay them more money yeah because you want to keep them because they're brilliant well, the pay structure means we've got to turn it into a manager. They don't want it. You don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we do it. Right. And then, you know, being, you know, I, I do a thing about leadership. Engineers are creatives. Mm-hmm. They are not what people imagine, you know, boiler room, overruled monkeys, you know, feeding coal into the furnace. <laughs> they are creatives. Yeah. If you give them the right structure and guardrails, <laughs> They invent stuff. Yes. They make stuff. We yeah. make stuff. I, I'm, you know, you're a yeah. developer. I'm a developer. Yeah. But the fun. biggest thrill we get is writing code. Yes. And the further up you, the food chain you go, the less code you write. But I think I always feel that it's important that, you know, even at VP level, I write code. Not for production, maybe. <laughs> Not allowed to do that. But um, I won't tell anyone. No. I'd sneak a few lines in there. <laughs> I, generally, I work on the stuff that other people don't want to work on. Mm. say so Steve you know that legacy PHP app you know, and I think oh, I hate PHP yeah you know the first page of the how to do PHP is choose something else <laughs> you know I hate it but I know everybody else hates it and they you know and if I wanted just a kind of a little bit of respite from being a VP I'll look at this stuff because at least it is debuggable and it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward to work out yeah so it keeps your hand in you know it keeps you Keeps you in touch with what you know. Yeah, people in the org are doing. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned PHP because my next podcast guest is Mr. PHP, the founder of PHP. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I don't. It was my first language, if guy. you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always thought hiring. No, it's, it's, do you know what the thing is? Yeah, modern PHP development looks just like Java. You know, it's not what it used to be. You know, what's PHP used to stand for? Um, something pre-hypertext, like preprocessor. Yeah. Something like that. Right. Um, that was naughty when it first came out. But that was its joy. Uh, yeah. Play it again. Play it again. Yeah. Play it again. Play it again. Oh, got it right. Excellent. That's yeah. That. yeah. It's, it was so immediate. Yeah. Um, and now you see PHP development and it's all object-orientated. It's, you know, it's more... 
Yeah, they're, 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 Inject, they've even got an injection framework. They've got all this sort of stuff. It's yeah. all caught up. There's language, there's frameworks like Laravel that are taken off. WordPress is all PHP. Yeah. And that's huge. Um, they had, they did some things really well though, not to go on a huge tangent. Their documentation had so many code samples from people just contributing. Yeah. That was, that's how I learned mm. on the code samples, uh, before I ever, you know, bought a book. And you know what? That's one of the things that separates industrial programming from hacking. Yeah. You know, Hawkesidly, I'm still using the same things that they taught me there, the same mantras, the same, you know, there's no shortcuts to high quality software yeah. development. Um, yeah, you know, everything's massively more aggregated. It's much more effective now. You know, a few lines of code and you've created a website. You know? Right. But the, the paradigm still remains. Yeah. You know, undocumented code is unmaintainable code. Mm-hmm. And I'm, a, I'm not a subscriber to this, you know, I think in code. Yeah, well, if you think in code, you're not thinking in my team, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> where you think is you draw stuff on a on your pad, you know. You draw it out, you think it out, you know, and then you start typing up. And you document it. You know, you put comments in your code. I know comments are regarded by some as overhead. Yeah, they are. They're a necessary overhead. It's like saying, you know, I don't, I haven't got any tests in my... Because they're on overhead. I've got to maintain the tests. Yeah, yeah, that's the job. Anytime someone tells me that they don't write a test, I, I just look at them and I think, like, you, you don't want to be lazy. Tests let you be lazy. You know it's going to work. You know that if you make another yeah. change later, your thing's probably not going to break. Yeah. It's a mystery otherwise. And I think you do. It's a, it's a fine line, really. You know, like TDD, I'm not a great fan of. Um, you know, um, paired programming has its, has its place. But there's no get around the good people doing good work that are well-led um motivated um curious mm. you know these sorts of things but they're working from a, a a standard that's been set by the team you know this is the thing that we really suffer from in this industry now people come into it well who do you learn from the guy sitting next to you has only got three years in the job you know five right. years where do you find the guys with 40 years of experience and just retiring can tell you all the shitty stuff that, you know, they've done so you don't do it, <laughs> you know? Because, you know, for the most part, yeah, functional programming is new, you know, different styles of programming come and go. But the fundamentals are still the same. You write the code, you document it, you test it. Yeah. And you make that process as simple and as easy and straightforward as possible. Yeah. Not to keep talking about PHP, but I have one more thing that I miss about the PHP days. And that one thing is um, one of the early podcasts on this. Bar dump. No, no, no. No, but that, the you best know what? debugging tool That's in the world. Not terrible. Dump. That's not terrible, right? Like, it's, um, you know, like print debugging. No, um, was or is, I mean, I think it's, it's still what people do today. It was, in my opinion, the easiest, uh, if you want to build a website, and you need a programming language behind it. It's the easiest thing to deploy in the world because yeah. every host, the dollar ninety nine web host to the whatever, they all have PHP. You just drag and drop, and it's deployed. You can't do that with ninety percent. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah, and you know, and that's in some respects that you know, you see the sort of advances in things like Java. I mean, I'm I'm a Java guy. I used to be a C guy, and before that, I was an assembler guy. And, right. You know, um, Pascal. And before that, <laughs> so you're we're not talking about the the the, the algorithm that's. Uh, <laughs> controlled the bogs. That was Pascal. Interesting. You know. um, huh. <laughs> but 
I'm you know I fell in love with John over 20 years ago and um, I've I've never seen really any reason to change that. Yeah. Partly because what the Java community does and the owners of Java, um, Oracle and others, is they see the trends that are happening in others and they mimic them. Right. You know, Scala. Right. Um, languages are based on the JVM. Right. To catch up, I suppose, with some of the, the trends. Yeah, nowadays, you know, we, we're doing a lot of work with um, Java Fibers, which is virtual threads. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes it right away back to J- you know, JDK one when everything was a virtual thread, mm-hmm. um, and then it took uh, it could take advantage of physical cores, um, but threads are expensive, right? So you put them in a pool, you know, right. execute a pool, and all this sort of thing. The version nineteen and version twenty one, when it's a, a full first class citizen, is going to turn that paradigm on its head, because a standard JVM run on a four core, eight gig laptop can have a million threads. Yeah, wow. Now, you think about that. That's functional programming. That's, I don't need asynchronous programming. Right. I just have now, I'll run my application through, you know, this is the execution path. I don't need to push an event and wait for a response, push another and wait for another response. That async model that makes debugging so bloody hard. Right. Um, Don't need that anymore. Yeah. I literally will go back to, I call this, I call that, I call that, I call that, I call that. And the operating system will, and I will run that on its own thread. I've got a million of those. Yeah. Wow. So speaking of that, that's sort of a bit about the future of all this stuff. Where do you see the future of contact centers going? Um, so what we're seeing is that AI and chat GPT and these kinds of things, these tools are going to have a significant impact. They already are. Right. But it's going to grow and grow and grow. You know, when you phone a contact center generally now, you will go through an IVR. You go through this process of press this, do that, and can right. you say this, can you right. do that? Um, but eventually you end up with a, an agent. Increasingly, uh, voice bots are going to have a much bigger role to play there because they'll, in real time, transcribe what you're saying Right. Run it through a chat GPT of all the responses that have been made before or this, or from everything else in the business. Right. And give you actually a very good qualified response. Yeah. About answering your query. Right. No human involved at all. Yeah. So that sort of stuff. Um, you'll see stuff like, um, you know, we, which we're doing right now, is um, a call comes in. You're actually talking to an agent. Right. And this is probably, you know, a common experience. The agent say, I, actually, I need to speak to somebody in another department. Yes, yes. And what they're doing is they're putting you on hold. They're using another line, second line, to call that and say, right, I've just been talking to Matt. Yeah. He's got a problem with his router and this and that. Yeah. You know, uh, what do you think? Yeah. And well, increasingly, what it will already have done is there'll be a button to say, I want to talk to another expert. The chat GPT or other speech-to-text and analysis well, to summarize the whole conversation you've had, right. pass it to that guy before you've even transferred the call to him so he can read a summary and uh. know exactly what you've been talking about. Huh. So the need to speak to him, it becomes then potentially unnecessary. Right. So all kinds of interesting ways in which this kind of technology is going to have an impact to make the effectively the um, contact center much more efficient. Right. And voice will play a diminishing role in that. 
increasingly people want to talk in a, as you say, they want to talk to you in the way that's convenient for them. Right. And that might be a web chat, might be an SMS, WhatsApp, uh, Telegram, could be anything. Um, they want a first-class experience. And phoning somebody is actually a bit, a bit painful, a bit annoying. Right. Especially if it puts you through a whole load of IVR. Whereas you, if you can be a bit more asynchronous and do it via text or you know right. WhatsApp or something, right? That's and so I, you know, I think we see that slowly growing. Okay, interesting. So the future is a lot more AI and a lot of. It seems like the whole goal of everything is to just shrink the amount of time that you have to, you know, speak to a pe- person or researcher yeah i mean it's always about balancing the time it takes for an agent to answer because that's expensive yes any human being involved in it means it's expensive it's balancing that with having a good authoritative response right because it's one thing you know you phone up and you get to talk to a robotic voice (laughs) yeah matt i want great you're pissed off everybody's pissed off nobody you, you know that's not great um even if it was actually gave you a good answer, you know, sort of, I don't want that. So it's balancing that kind of thing with the time that you spend talking to an agent. Right. Efficiency. Efficiency is it's key. Yeah. I time mean, is money. Well, you go into a call center, a contact center, you'll see wall boards up, you know, mm-hmm. big screens, mm-hmm. like in a knock. You know, you're seeing all these alarms and all of these tables and everything else. Right. And what they're telling you is the efficiency of the data center. Right. What's the efficiency of the agents? Who's the most efficient agent? Who's got spare time? You know, an agent takes a call in a high volume contact center. They take the call. They talk to you. When the call is finished, they have what we call a wrap-up time to type up the consequence of the call into the CRM system. You can control how much time they're allowed to do that. Are they all fast typers? Because that's lost time. Yeah. So we have contact center operators who set that to zero. You no no summary. Well, you're typing it up while you're taking the next call. Oh. Now you can only do that in circum you know, certain circumstances because the, the experience for the end caller can't be very good. Might not be very good. Yeah. But that's what people are driving for, you know. Fast throughput. Get these things uh, you know, answered, move on to the next one. Do you see uh, – well, okay, so let me ask this. Do you see what, – what size contact centers are you normally seeing and what's the smallest you've seen? The smallest one we have on our books is one. One person? One person. And that's just the person that also pays the bills and does the whole thing? Huh? Well, it's – so generally, it's a – in that instance, I mean, we have – I think we have half a dozen of those. It's not very many. Yeah. But we do have um, contact centers that have got five. Okay. Now, that's a contact center whose primary purpose is not providing contact center facilities. It is to sell cars or to service boilers or to do something else. Right. And they've grown to a certain size that a standard phone system is not going to do it for them. Right. People down the road. So they need people that supply service locally. And one of the beauties of the 8 by 8 concert center is, is because it's completely browser-based and you can switch it on and off, you can float those licenses around. Uh-huh. So generally, it, you know, it's a customer maybe with 100, 200 employees, of which five run the contact center. Right. 
and feed those leads and those service requests and everything else yeah. to the rest of the workforce. Do we have contact centers or does 8Byte have contact centers where there are no, there's no one using phone? Um, we don't, but increasingly we are being requested to provide that. Interesting. Um, a digital only. Uh-huh. And that is start, that's gaining some traction too in the industry. Right. Is just taking interactions via WhatsApp. Right. Uh, right. Web chat, this kind of thing. Um, yeah, you know, there's, um, that, there's a growing trend towards that. Um, having, having phones and a phone system requires you to have a carrier connection, requires you to have um, a phone number. Right. So you've got provision of a phone right. number and this kind of thing. So those kind of customers generally, plenty of exceptions, but that really encourages a kind of pop-up contact center. Right. You know, we were talking earlier about, you know, a contact center for an event. Mm-hmm. And that's great. You know, it's not so easy to do with a phone number um, because the phone number you want to use for lots of channels and lots of things. Right. It's still possible. I mean, calls come in and you divert them to different parts through the IVR. But yeah, digital only contact center that is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. There's plenty of um, motion in that. Yeah. I think this bird has something to say about that if this is being picked up. <laughs> um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it would be interesting because, you know, I used to be in the music space, the event space, live events, and we did, you know, we worked with artists, you know, like Beyonce and Selena Gomez and Adele and, mm-hmm. and, you know, Guns N' Roses, and we did work with them on tour all across the world. And so there was always people, we, we mostly used email. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't super sophisticated in our, you know, support offerings or whatever, but we did have a phone number. And it did have a very basic, uh, you know, PBX and an IVR to say, who do I go to? Um, and that was because that was a requirement to accept credit cards yeah. for that company. Yeah. So we processed credit cards on behalf of all these artists. And so we had to have a phone number in case there's a dispute or whatever. And it saved us a lot of time and money uh, when people would issue a chargeback. Because a lot of the times, this is just a short tangent, a lot of the times at smaller concerts, you would find that <clears throat> we'd get a phone call. And say, what is this thing? Like a $30 charge on my credit card. Mm. I said, do you have a son or daughter? And I said, yeah. I said, did they go to a concert last night? Yeah. Did they come home with a t-shirt? Yeah. That was it. They used your credit card and bought a yeah. t-shirt. <laughs> and, th- and when you were talking about, you know, integrations with other systems, uh-huh. there you go. You know, yeah. a point of sale system and a, uh, an inventory system, a, you know, a purchase history system. Right. Not, not a CRM. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when you were saying, you know, what's the smallest? We get, you know, we reached down to that. But also... You know, uh, generally, um, our customers are much larger concurrency, mm-hmm. um, and they're geograf- geographically spread. And that's one of the other things about you know contact center and the phone interaction. You need a phone system that's geo redundant. You know that if you're calling from Australia, it's not costing you a fortune to phone the US. Right, you're phoning an Australian carrier that, and then via the phone system, you're getting to the the agent. So most if not all contact centers, mm-hmm. have to have a very close relationship with a phone vendor. I see. You know, eight by eight, we are the phone vendor. We right. Are, you know, that's, a, that's probably what we're more famous for. Right. But in every other contact center, they will integrate with a phone system because it's absolutely key. Right. Uh, low cost, um, high reliability, uh, global comms. Right. Without that, your contact center looks very weak. Okay. So what would you say, 
is if someone wanted to get into this space, building the software that powers this stuff for the future of the integrations for contact centers, how do they get into it? What's your phone number? (laughs) Oh, you mean if they want to come and work for us? Or for you or for anyone. Like, how do you get into this space? Who wouldn't want to work for me? (laughs) Um, well, if people are genuinely interested in this area, they are, you know, you look up the vendors and find out, you know, yeah. there's uh, some based in Silicon Valley, others based, uh, you know, right around the world. But um, do you need a history in, in? No. Do you need to have been an agent answering no. phones? So I, so I joined the company four and a half years ago. Right. Before that, it was industrial IoT. Okay. Oh, I, okay. I knew nothing about contact centers okay. or phone systems for that matter. Right. No, I mean, it's a niche industry. Right. Yeah, there's thousands and thousands of people in it, and there's millions of people who use the, the, yes. the software. But it's a niche industry, so they aren't walking the street. You know, there's there aren't experts in uh, contact centers for X or Y walking the street. Right. You know, um, so it's fairly specialized. Right. So we never expect anybody to have any knowledge. When they come in, we're looking for good first class developers. Right. Good people. You know. Um, don't have to be a genius. Uh, you know, the stuff that we do is, as you can tell, super interesting. Um, well, super interesting. In well, once you yeah, start peeling rocket. back, once you start peeling back the onion, it's actually quite fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's more to it than, than meets the eye. And as there is in most things, um, you know, when the advent of AI and, and our skills-based and attribute-based routing, decision-making, and this, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. We're microservice-based. You know, we're based on the Cloud 8 system. So, mm-hmm. It's really cool. You know, we stand up services. They inject themselves into the process. You know, we do a delivery of our front end, automated, no fingers on keyboards, every single day. Mm. The process is behind that. You know, when we write code, it comes from a story or it comes from a, a Jira ticket that says make some changes. Developer makes the changes. He gets two guys to agree that they're the right changes. They go into the code. The QE and the automation make sure that it's right. Yeah, that gets committed to the master. The branch the master gets built every night. It's evergreen, and the next morning it's deployed to production. Right, without anybody touching it. Right. We used to have a big green button that started that process. <laughs> now we have a big red button that stops the process. Ah, so it's um it's a bit like we introduced it on the basis of a bit like the newspaper industry. Right. Start in the morning. There's an editor's meeting with all the journalists. So what the hell are we going to put in the paper today? Right. And then it's a headlong rush to try and fill the paper up. And it used to be, because it works in the newspaper industry as well, you get to four o'clock or whatever, the cutoff when the presses have to start running, when they finish filling up the typesetting, it doesn't matter that there's gaps now because the paper's got to, otherwise it can't get distributed. You don't get anything. Yeah. Yeah. So we introduced that to our CD process. There's a cutoff and what's in is in, what isn't isn't in. You have to wait till tomorrow. Huh. That's cool. And it's work. I mean, we're doing it for over a year. Now, that's all part of making a contact center. So there's facets of it which are really modern, really great and got nothing really to do much with a, you know, connecting an agent to a call. <clears throat> yeah. You know. What's the most interesting use case of a contact center you've seen? interesting or most impressive or most something you never expected um supports the obvious one right to me it supports the obvious one yeah i think actually um oh we've got contact centers 
which use facts. What? Facts. Now, we don't... It's not an interaction it's type. Be slow... Oh, okay. I was going to say, that's got to be the slowest. Well, emails. Yeah, facts and emails. Well, email is slower. Okay. Oh. We've, got, we've got whole businesses that don't communicate with their customers except for through email. Wow, yeah. Not very large businesses. Hmm. Uh, book publishers. Okay. So that all of their orders come through the system via email. Okay. Um, they have no voice interactions at all. Huh. No text, no nothing, just email. Interesting. Thousands of them. Thousands a day. Um, we have others that are uh, calling out. Um, so outbound, you know, really tough, really, you know, aggressive outbound calling. Um, we have people who offer um, counseling services for people who are having mental health issues. Um Oh, myriad. I mean, I, you know, we have ticket sales, we have airlines, we have a oh, myriad of, of different use right. cases. Yeah. I mean, 8 by 8 contact center, it's not a 30,000 concurrency type contact center. It's cloud-based, sit anywhere you like, do your work from an airport lounge or from a cafe or whatever. Um, beach. A beach. <laughs> beach. <laughs> from a beach. Um <laughs> Uh, with a sweet spot of, you know, a couple of thousand concurrencies. Um, very high value. Generally, customers that are they're selling something or they're providing a service that's of high value. Right. That's good to know. Any final words or anything, anything any shout-outs? <laughs> Your family, anyone that, you know? Might listen to this podcast. God, hope four million people that subscribe. Yeah, I hope nobody, none of my family listens to this. Um, I'd be surprised. Do you know what the thing about it is? I've worked in so many different industries. You know, I started off in defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to document management, um, industrial IoT. I was a consultant for a, a, another American company that sent me to go and work in um, the oil industry, the newspaper industry. Uh, legal, you know, a lot. But what you find is that it's not, it, it's, it's glib to say it's sort of the same, same shit, different day, you know. <laughs> but this sort of constant striving for good quality, good standards, you find good people at the mm-hmm. bottom of it. And there's no substitute for working with good people. Yeah. And I don't mean, you know, wholesomely good necessarily. That's nice. But, you know, I mean, <clears throat> they are, they know what they're doing. Right. And it doesn't matter whether they're green as grass straight out of university or, Got forty years of experience. It's a mindset. This game, and um, oh, yeah. Actually, the one thing you must have mm. is a sense of humor. A sense of humor. Jesus Christ! I mean, you know, you want to live long in IT. Yeah. Uh, it can kill you. This stuff. Yeah. You know, the disappointment, the anxiety, the uh, the stress. Oh, absolutely. Um, you never remember the wins. You always remember the losses. You got to have a sense of humor. Right. You know, when things are going not very well. Right. Uh, Get a laugh. You've got to, you've got to maintain some sort of sense of perspective. Yeah. It's work. It's not real life. Right. Oh, on that note, well, thanks, for, thanks for being here, Steve. I appreciate it. No worries, mate. All right. Nice talking to you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Feel free to subscribe on noob.show. That's in Or on anywhere you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or anywhere else. Thanks for listening. See you next time.